When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing and a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them there were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Familia and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. I want to say thanks be to God. So this is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all people said, amen. Let me give you a couple more verses. Then Peter stood up when everyone was amazed and perplexed and asked, have they had too much wine? Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. That's what's happening. Peter's describing that it's just like Joel said. This morning, we're not in any series. It is Pentecost Sunday, and so we're just gonna sit here with this story on this birthday of the church. And I'm reminded of in 2010 when I went to Cuba. I was in Cuba for two weeks, and it was an amazing but a crazy trip. Um, awesome, but, but you know, memorable in the various ways. It, it, Havana is just like all the pictures with the old cars and the old buildings, and it's, it's like something, it's like going back in time. It's beautiful country, beautiful people, and I say it was amazing but kind of crazy because on our off day, I ended up in a Cuban hospital after stepping on a stingray, and, and we, we were there. It was, it was fun. It, the whole trip was great. We were, we were there, though, for missions and worship. At the time, I was a worship leader at uh, St. James and Methodist Church in Montgomery, and uh, we were there, we'd lead worship in the evenings and work on mission sites during the day. And, and I'll never forget what worship was like there. You see, I, at St. James, uh, St. James, the contemporary service there is similar to this one, but maybe a bit more charismatic. Um, it, 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 you know, it, there was 
it was still Methodist, let's be honest. People would raise their hands. I mean, that's what I mean by charismatic. You know? Maybe there would be some extemporaneous music, but, but you know, it's within the United Methodist version of charismatic. Uh, no, it's not like my uncle's church. My great uncle was a Pentecostal preacher in the Assembly of God tradition. And, and those services, you know, they'd speak in tongues and they had these really long services, the whole nine yards of what you'd experience in a Pentecostal worship. But those services were tame compared to the services in Cuba. Um, the people there, they were dancing and they'd be weeping and wailing loudly. The verbal affirmation during the sermon uh, would put Bruce Fitzgerald, make him seem quiet, right? I'm saying that people were just giving it back to the preacher back and forth the whole time. And that preacher was allowed to preach way faster than I've ever been allowed to preach. I don't think he's ever gotten in trouble the way I've gotten in trouble for whenever I get something fast. I'm just like, I'm gonna let that go one day, I swear. No, but... Uh, um, it, it got loud, it's excited, all this dancing, all this joy. And then at the, at the end of the service, um, they, they had an altar call of sorts. It was very different than like what we did last week. Very different. They didn't like quietly come down and kneel and pray and then walk back to their seats real, you know, angelically and hands. No, no, no. These people, they, they, they came down to the front and they, they told me, they, they, they said, hey, we want you to stand here near the front and just be ready. And I'm like, for what? I don't know what's going on. Um, and people would, sometimes they'd come down to the front and kind of like sway on the way down. Sometimes they were like sprinting down to the front. And when they got there, the preacher would pray over them very fast in Spanish. And I don't know what he's saying. And all of a sudden he put his hand on their head or he would blow on them like this. And they'd just pass out. I mean, they'd fall out as if they just fainted. And my job, I learned quickly was to catch them before they hit the tile floor because it is a hard floor. And then I was instructed to place a white blanket for modesty on anybody that I caught on the way down. And there's a pre-prepared stack of white blankets because everybody else knew what to expect. This happened over and over for the better part of an hour until there's just bodies laid all over. (laughs) Like there's more people on the ground having fainted than there are in the pews. Every service was like that, and they would end where they would have what they, they called in the charismatic tradition being slain in the spirit. If you haven't ever heard that term before, it's in, the tradition, in that charismatic Pentecostal tradition, being slain in the spirit is what is a potential to happen when you fully allow yourself to be open to the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. It is what, what is one of the potential impacts of what God can be doing in worship on your life. I've never myself been slain in the spirit, but I've now seen it a number of times. I believe it is real. This to me is not something that we're just saying people make up. I think God's spirit can do all sorts of things. But personally, I've never been slain. No one's ever caught me on the way down. Uh, The last time I did a trust fall, it didn't work, and so I don't do them anymore, right? So so for me, no, no, my encounters with the Holy Spirit are a bit different. They're more similar uh, to the ones that Jan Bailey describes so well. If, if you know Jan, she's our pastoral administrator. She's been in this church for forever. Um, Jan is currently in Scotland um, on a week-long, over-week-long walk with the Lord. Uh, and for what it's worth, our office has fallen apart because she's not here. <laughs> We've come to rely on her so entirely. Um, but, but if you know Jan, she is a wonderfully holy and spirit-led person. 
Uh, she's participated in the Academy of Spiritual Formation like a number of people in this room have. And her prayer life is one that we all should seek to emulate, to be a little more like Jan. And uh, a few years ago, she went and walked the Camino de Santiago from France all the way to the coast of Spain for where over a month she was walking with the Lord by herself with her thoughts in prayer and with God. And she uh, is now on that journey through the Scottish Highlands, listening to the Holy Spirit. And a couple of weeks ago in a staff devotion, when she described the way that she encounters the Holy Spirit, um, it was more like gentle nudges or a soft breeze that soothes her soul. It's, it's more like she hears the whispers of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I'm as in tune with the movements of the Holy Spirit as Jan, but I, I think my own experiences are in that similar vein. But no matter how you experience the Holy Spirit, no matter whether you are, are slain or whether you hear a whisper, they can all be traced back to this text, to this day, to Acts chapter two. This traditional passage we read on Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church Sunday. This is one of the most famous passages in scripture and it's a very important passage for how we understand the theology of the church and how we understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. As United Methodists, we do not shy away from talking about the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit. It might not always look like tongues of fire, but it is very much a thing that our church holds fastly to, the presence of God's spirit. And so our lesson in the scriptures begins with all the disciples gathered in one place. They're still gathered after Jesus's ascension, which happened last week, and they're, they're hanging out, waiting, wondering what's happening next, what's gonna happen. They're also gathered with a bunch of other Jewish people in Jerusalem because it's the festival of the weeks which is one of the festivals of Jewish agriculture and remembering God's covenant. And so there's a lot of people from far and near that have gathered there in Jerusalem. And while the disciples are there in the house, all of a sudden there is a wind that is violent and loud. And it starts wrapping around the room and all of a sudden divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and the tongues rested on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak other languages. This is a wild scene, right? I'm sure you thought about this before, right? What if you and your friends were all hanging out having dinner and all of a sudden the wind, like you're in some like haunted house ghost movie, started just moving around and then fire was on top of you. And you look over at your friend and fire's on top of them, but nobody's getting burned. It is crazy. After all this happened though, the disciples, they go outside and a crowd had gathered because they heard that noise, that same noise that we were just hearing whenever I was reading the scripture. Everybody who was there heard this noise. And so they came to where the disciples were and they heard people speaking in their native tongue, which is odd because Galileans, are not what you would call high society. <laughs> Galileans are uh, considered kind of backwatery. It's not normal for Galileans to know multiple languages. It'd be like if me from the Wiregrass, <laughs> all of a sudden when I was growing up, started just speaking Mandarin without any lessons. That's what we're talking about is happening here. Everyone was amazed and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And somebody says, are they drunk? <laughs> and Peter comes and gives the world's first Christian sermon. This is the first sermon a Christian ever, ever gave. He raised his voice and he said, fellow Jews and all of you here, 
Listen carefully what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning, which is one of the funniest lines in the Bible to me. As if like it would have been a logical question to ask if this was nine out of night. He's like, hey, we haven't been having mimosa brunch or anything. They're not drunk. Peter goes on then to quote Joel, who foretold of this day. And then Acts goes on in the parts that we didn't read by telling us what happened because of this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I, and I wanna read the rest of it for you right now. Hear, hear this, it picks up in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers that were together, they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to one another in who had needs. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Doesn't that sound really nice? I mean, that is the picture of what I imagine when we think of perfect Christian community, right? I mean, I can't help, like many Christians, being wrapped up in in the grandeur of what it would look like to be an Acts 2 church. I heard that phrase a lot in college and then in like pastoral conferences, that we need to be an Acts 2 church or we need to help create Acts 2 Christians. And and I have to admit, it sounds really great. The idea of 3,000 people being added to the church because of an impromptu, unplanned sermon? I've never experienced that. I don't think my sermons have been quite that powerful. Also, when the Bible says that everybody was filled with awe and wonders and signs, it, it means that there weren't internet trolls there telling them how it's fake. There weren't people being moved by the Spirit and other people being like, nah, that's not real. There's people saying, I don't understand what's happening, but the scripture says everyone was filled with awe and wonder. And the craziest part though, maybe even more so than the tongues of fire, the different languages, is the fact that all the people for those first members of that early church, that first church there in Acts 2, they sold their property, they sold their possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet and they broke breads with glad and sincere hearts. As an extrovert, and as a seven on the Enneagram, that sounds amazing to me. Every day we're just gonna hang out. Every day we're gonna get together and eat and talk and be best friends. My wife was like, that does not sound as amazing to me. As a pastor's wife, she's like, uh, we're gonna need a little breaks in here, you know, every now and then. But, but the Bible says that even maybe the introverts, because in the way the Holy Spirit was leading, everyone had glad hearts. The biblical scholar, David Gushy, describes uh, this Acts 2 church as remarkably open to a dynamic and fluid way of operating based on its theology and experience with the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say this, uh, where to go, what to do, how to worship, who should speak in worship, who, what should be said in worship, um, how the community should be led, who should lead it, how to relate to outsiders, who should relate to the outsiders, these and many other matters seem to be handled through reliance of the, on the empowerment and direction of the Holy Spirit. And when we read about this utopian vision of the early church, it is natural for us to have everything in us desire to go back there. 
Let's just go back to that. Let's be just this church and every other congregation operate exactly like the Acts 2 church. But as great as that sounds, it is also a bit of a trap. If we're not careful, we could begin idealizing something that ultimately wasn't sustainable in that form forever. Because here's the thing, the Bible doesn't end in Acts 2. If it did, we should just be Acts 2 churches. But the Bible also has Acts 15, which has the first church argument. (laughs) And you know what happened at the first church argument? It was settled by the people of the church coming together to discuss and have conversations. We also have 1 Corinthians, which changes the rules established by that first church argument. We have Ephesians and Colossians and the pastoral epistles written by Paul, which give instructions for how the church should operate and organize and how it should relate to one another and to the world. Over time, the church had to develop standards and practices to help it organize and govern and give voice and agency to this new movement as it grew because it did grow and we wanted to continue growing. And the longer the church existed, the more it had to do to understand how it's supposed to operate, what order looks like. Because as humans, um, we have disagreements. We are not God. We are not perfect. And after a couple days of exclusively relying on the Holy Spirit without any order or established patterns, the people began fighting and arguing about who should be in charge and what should be done. And so the the later letters in the New Testament, they do not cease to rely on the Holy Spirit. They just learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit in new ways. They give us a guide for how to discern what God is doing and how the Holy Spirit is moving and speaking to us as a community. Gushi goes on to say that freedom in the Spirit Verse structure and order is a dynamic that has never disappeared in the life of the church. Since the very beginning, we've wanted to rely entirely on the Holy Spirit and we've needed some sort of guide. We, we want everything to be free flowing and just you know come together and it should be perfect. And we know that on our own, sometimes we go down bad paths. We have a way and we've always been able to understand that we can lean into the Holy Spirit in more than one manner. I mean, I'll say even in my own life, there have been times where my charismatic tendencies have been a lot stronger than in others. There's, there's been times, August has this, I don't know, the thing from the wedding yesterday and she's waving it around right now. I'm like, that reminds me of like the praise flag days back in college where I never had the praise flags, but they were in the worship service I was participating in and I didn't think anything of it. And there are other days where uh, whenever Brianna and I were dating and engaged, we, we went to three services every day, two at First Methodist in Prattville where I, I served and, and the Catholic mass with her family that night. And I found a new love and appreciation for the order of that worship experience. Here at Dolphin Way, we have our contemporary service and our traditional service because the expressions and the movements of the Holy Spirit are wide and vast. I mean, we can't limit the way the Holy Spirit might be moving 
in the world. The Holy Spirit does so much more than we could ever imagine or understand. I mean, the Holy Spirit enables us to preach God's word. The Holy Spirit gives us courage. The Holy Spirit provides guidance in major decisions. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit comforts us when we mourn. The Spirit sends us spiritual gifts when we seek. The Spirit equips the church for ministry. The Spirit empowers all inspiring signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit cannot be contained, but it can be discerned. And that is what we're doing here. In the very first Pentecost, we see the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also see the future. We, we see what God intended and still intends for those left behind once Jesus ascended. And God's intention was that the church would be Jesus on earth, would be Christ to the world. That the church would follow the teachings and emulate the life of Jesus to make the kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven. We are only able to be the church of Jesus Christ though by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Gush you one more time says this. The Holy Spirit is poured out by God the Father to empower the church to advance Christ's mission to the very ends of the earth. That's what all this is about. That's what we're doing here. That's why we exist. It's why Dauphin Way and every other church is happening and having worship and doing work in the world. We are here to advance Christ's mission to the very ends of the earth. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. Some of us discern the experiences of the Holy Spirit. We, we come and encounter with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's like, like a fire, a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. And we can't help but lift our hands in praise. We can't help but shout out and sing. We can't help but wave the praise flags or do whatever it is the Spirit is leading us to do. We just can't hold it in. It's like a fire that burns within us. And other times we go on walks and we sit in silence and we listen for the whispers. The Holy Spirit is a fire and a whisper. Sometimes it's burning right on top of your head. And other times it is this gentle sound on the tail of a breeze that if you're talking, you will miss the Holy Spirit is fire and whispers. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, I hope that you will take up the work that we've been talking about all year. That if you haven't yet begun joining us, that you, you will. All year we've been talking about how to discern the will of God how to discern the movements of the Holy Spirit, to ask what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Our entire Lenten series was called God Still Speaks, asking how is God still speaking today? We have a discernment team that is doing the work of trying to hear what God is saying to our congregation. And I believe that everything we do as leaders and as people in this church is to try to encounter the Holy Spirit so that it compels us and moves us and changes us so that we can do Christ's work in this world. And so I hope you will join us as we celebrate the birthday of the church and being the church that is trying to listen to God and being the church that is seeking not to be heard, but to hear. 
to know more about what God is trying to say than what we are trying to say. I hope you will pray with us about the future of our congregation and about the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And I hope together we will be able to move forward into a bright and glorious future where we'll all be together singing the old hymn, Holy Spirit, Truth Divine. Dawn upon this soul of mine, voice of God and inward light. Wake my spirit, clear my sight. Holy Spirit, love divine. Glow within this heart of mine. Kindle every high desire. Purify me with your fire. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.